What is up, everyone? My name is Joseph, and welcome back to Casually Competitive's Understanding CEDH, where it's our goal to just have discussions on CEDH topics that is geared more towards newer players for those who are trying to learn how to get into and play in the scene, but also to be an interesting discussion for those who are already well acquainted. In this episode, we're going to talk about popular and meta win conditions in CEDH and how you can best interact and deal with them. We want to keep this video more focused on the colors of the win conditions so we won't be going into commander-specific win cons. However, that will come in a future video. So commanders like Najila and Gitrog that have combos based around them will get their own separate video. If you do want to hear another video like this that has a broader scope that doesn't just focus on the highest of tier win cons, let us know and we will release a follow-up to this with some more uh, lesser used but still very powerful win conditions. That being said, if you're interested right now on where you can find just general combos for EDH, there is a Discord channel that has released very recently whose focus is to essentially make a library of crowdsourced combos in EDH. So if that's something that interests you, head on over to Command spellbook.com and it will take you right to the discord server it's currently hosted in discord but it's very easy to manage and find colors for specific combos that being said on screen you should be seeing a table of contents if you want to skip around to different combos and remember that if you do want to help support this channel we have a patreon a youtube join button we have a public discord server if you want to talk to us and a tcg affiliate link in the description below but with the intro out of the way let's get into the first win condition for this video demonic consultation so although most of you will know how the Demonic Consultation win con works, I do want to briefly explain the goal of this combo for those who may not have seen it yet. So the goal of a Demonic Consultation win con is to use a card like Demonic Consultation or Tainted Pact to exile the controller's library and then win through an effect like Laboratory Maniac, Jace Wielder of Mysteries, or the new fish who has been shaking up the scene, Thassa's Oracle. Thassa's Oracle is considered to be the best because it allows for the least amount of interaction from the controller's opponents. That being said, let's take a deeper dive into how this combo works and what the person will need in order to set up the win con. First off, there's really not too much setup involved to get this win condition online. It's really just three mana, two blue and one black. The biggest drawback that this win condition has is, barring any abnormal circumstances, this combo does have to be done at sorcery speed. A creature needs to be cast, so let's say Thassa's Oracle for example. Thassa's Oracle needs to be cast and resolved. So in terms of board state, really not much other than mana. So how does this win condition work? Well, to put it simply, for the most prevalent or the best way to do this, the controller would spend 2 mana, 2 blue mana, to cast Thassa's Oracle. If it resolves and enters the battlefield in response to the ETB trigger, the controller would then cast their library exiling effect, like Demonic Consultation, and then if Demonic Consultation resolves, the library will be exiled and then the ETB effect would resolve and the controller would win the game. Now this can be done with a Laboratory Maniac or Jace Wielder of Mysteries. However, using those as the way to win requires either more mana with Jace or an additional card with Labman because you do still need that draw effect. So right now Thassa's is the safest and cheapest and most efficient way to do this combo. So while it does seem very easy to pull off, how can you deal with this? If your opponent is playing consultation, what can you do in order to stop their win? Well, first off, let's start with the hate pieces that can be used to just shut this win off before it even gets started. 
There are some very popular effects that are very effective against stopping this, specifically Thassa's Oracle. The first one being any Torpor Orb or Hushbringer type effect, anything that shuts off ETB effects of creatures will nullify Thassa's Oracle completely. They will first have to deal with your hate piece before they can win. Now they can still win with a Laboratory Maniac or Jace Wielder of Mysteries, but like I said, that's more mana or more cards, and these two permanents are actually easier to deal with because you can remove them before they draw a card, so it gives you a little bit more interaction opportunities. Another hate piece that's very good against at least slowing down the Thassa's Oracle Demonic Consultation is any type of static tax effect. If you're making them pay one or two more mana for each of their casts, or if you have a Trinisphere making them pay three mana for each cast, it's going to slow them down and require them to have a lot more mana, giving you more time to build up the protection pieces that you need in order to stop it. That being said, what are those protection pieces, or what is that instant speed interaction that can slow down or stop this combo? Well, first off, we have the simple answer, counter spells. If you counter either Thassa's Oracle or Demonic Consultation, that kind of just stops what they're trying to do. So that one's very simple. That being said, which of the two is better to counter? Honestly, it's probably better to wait until Thassa's Oracle resolves and when they cast Demonic Consultation. This will make it so then the Thassa's Oracle is on the battlefield, they'll have to find a way to either bounce or kill it and then replay it, and Demonic Consultation is in the graveyard rather than in their hand, so if you have the choice, it's probably better to counter the Demonic Consultation. Similarly, on the theme of counterspells, a Stifle effect or something like a Trick Bind can also stop the ETB or the triggered ability of Thassa's Oracle, allowing them to play the spells but not win the game off of it. Another good way to deal with this is a card called Angel's Grace. This card has split seconds, so it's basically going to resolve. Playing this card prevents them from winning this turn, so once everything resolves, they'll have a Thassa's Oracle on the battlefield, they'll have no library, but they won't win the game that turn, meaning when they go to draw their next card for turn, they'll actually lose the game. Angel's Grace is fantastic for stopping any type of Laboratory Maniac or demonic consultation type combo because all the setup they did for this turn now has to be replicated next turn. And finally, another good efficient way to deal with this win condition is have the player draw a card in response to the Thassa's Oracle ETB trigger. So if you have something like a Cephalid Colosseum as one of your lands and you sacrifice it to make them draw three cards, since Thassa's Oracle is not Laboratory Maniac, them drawing with an empty library does cause them to lose the game. Now this doesn't work with a Laboratory Maniac or a Jace Wielder of Mysteries, but like I said, there are more interaction opportunities with those two cards. Specifically, Creature or Permanent Removal, so a Red Elemental Blast or a Pyroblast do very well, and anything that stops them from drawing, like a Narset Parter of Veils or a Spirit of the Labyrinth, can also deal with the other ways that Demonic Consultation can win the game. In closing, I would say if you do want to focus on preventing Demonic Consultation, focus on the more prevalent or the more popular and efficient route which is dealing with Thassa's Oracle, and then just slot in the extra pieces you need for the backup wins. So permanent removal for Jace or creature removal for Labman. But if you are really worried about Demonic Consultation, be worried about the best way that they can do it, which is the three mana Thassa's Oracle Demonic Consultation. That being said, that kind of wraps up our section on Demonic Consultation. If you have any questions about this combo, feel free to ask in the comments. But now let's move on to the boogeyman of the format, the big bad flash hulk combo. 
So as most of you should know, Flash Hulk is a very fast and very prominent and strong wind condition in CEDH, but how exactly does it work and what can you do to stop the Flash Hulk player from winning the game? Well, before we go into the ways to stop it, let's talk about and do a little bit of a deep dive into how this combo works. We are going to be focusing on probably the best Hulk piles currently, just for the sake of time, and those two piles are going to be the Cephalid Illusionist Nomad's Encore, as well as the Spellseeker Blood Pet piles, and we'll go into those in more depth in a second, but just so you know what we're getting into. So the way this combo works is very simple. The goal of the Flash Hulk player is to cast Flash for 2 mana, put Protean Hulk onto the battlefield, letting it die to the Flash trigger, and then tutoring up a specific set of creatures whose CMC totals 6. This pile of creatures will allow them to win the game essentially, and that's, that's really the whole combo. There's not a lot to it. But let's take a little bit of a more in-depth look into what these piles can do, and how they win specifically, and then we'll talk about how you can interact with them. So first off, what is the required setup for this combo? Well, really simply, they need one blue mana, one colorless mana, and at least two cards in hand, those cards being Flash and Protean Hulk. Now, it's very rare that you'll know what cards are in their hand, but that is the setup that is required in order to win. Keep in mind that this combo can be done at instant speed, so if they have the setup at any point in the game, they could be threatening a win. So let's say they have everything they need, they cast Flash, put Protean Hulk onto the battlefield, it then dies, what do they search up? Well, the first and probably best pile is a pile consisting of Thassa's Oracle, Nomad's Encore, and Cephalid Illusionist. Now, the way that you would handle this is you would allow the Cephalid Illusionist to enter first, and then Nomad's Encore, and then Thassa's Oracle. When Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield, in response to the ETB trigger, you activate Nomad's Encore to target Cephalid Illusionist, and since it's being targeted, you would put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. You repeat this process until your entire library is milled, and then you allow the Thassa's Oracle ETB trigger to resolve, and then the Flash Hulk player wins the game. And the second pile of creatures that's considered to be efficient and optimal is Blood Pet, Spellseeker, and Thassa's Oracle. The way this pile works is the Flash Hulk player lets these three enter the battlefield and then resolves the Spellseeker ETB trigger first. Off this trigger, you search up Demonic Consultation to your hand, and then in response to the Thassa's Oracle ETB trigger, you sacrifice the Blood Pet for one black mana to cast Demonic Consultation, exiling their library and then winning the game off of Thassa's Oracle, very similar to just the regular Demonic Consultation win con. And that's it. Those are probably the two most prevalent Hulk piles currently, and normally they're played in tandem with each other, using the Spellseeker as the backup pile to the Cephalid Illusionist Nomad's Encore pile. So with that all being said, how can you, the person playing against this combo, interact and deal with a Flash Hulk player? Luckily, since both of these piles actually win off of Thassa's Oracle, a lot of the hate pieces and control pieces are similar between the two piles. First, let's talk about the hate pieces that can stop this from even happening. The first hate piece we'll talk about is a Torpor Orb type effect that pretty much eliminates any ETB triggers from creatures. Hushbringer is another very strong piece because that not only shuts off ETBs, but also leaving the battlefield triggers, making Hulk not even trigger in the first place. Next up, in terms of permanence that you can have to stop this combo from taking place, is any anti-tutor type effect. Even Mind Sensor is a very good example of this because it prevents them from searching the creatures off of the Hulk trigger. Other examples of efficient permanents that have this effect are Stranglehold or Ashiok Dream Render, which again prevents searching. 
There are instant speed cards that do something similar, so Shadow of Doubt is a 2 CMC instant spell that prevents searching, however it is slightly less efficient since it is instant speed and it won't remain on the battlefield as a static effect, however it can work in a pinch. The last hate piece that we're going to talk about is effects that stop creatures from entering the battlefield from a library. And the, the two big examples for this are Grafdigger's Cage and Containment Priest. Both of these permanents will pretty much shut down everything the Flash Hulk player is trying to do, so chances are if you have one of these on the battlefield, they'll need to remove that before they can even try to win the game. So that's our talk on hate pieces, so now let's talk about instant speed interaction that you can have that will stop the Flash Hulk player from winning. First off, again, very basic, countering Flash. Now you can't always reliably count on this because there are cards like Boseju who shelters all, which makes Flash uncounterable as a land drop, and there's other effects that make Flash uncounterable, so you can't always rely on countering Flash. However, in terms of planning to play against a Flash Hulk player, this is something you're going to include anyway, so it's something you should just always be aware of as a baseline for stopping Hulk. The next few options are going to be very similar to what we talked about in the Demonic Consultation section, because essentially, they're doing the same thing here since they're winning with Thassa's Oracle. So the next one we're going to talk about is a Stifle type effect, or anything that stops a triggered ability, so the spell Stifle, or something like Trick Bind. You can counter Thassa's ETB trigger with this, and again, they'll have no library and they'll have a Thassa's Oracle on the battlefield, but nothing will trigger and they'll lose next time they go to draw a card. Similarly to this, Angel's Grace is another very good instant speed interaction piece that is split second, so it can't really be countered, and it can be used to have them do everything they want to do, but not when they game off of it that turn, again, losing the next time they go to draw a card on a different turn. And lastly, any targeted draw that you can target at the player playing Thassa's Oracle, if you can make them draw after their library has been milled or exiled, you can make them lose the game since Thassa's Oracle is not exactly a Laboratory Maniac type effect. Them drawing with an empty library still causes them to lose the game. So a card like Cephalid Coliseum is very efficient to slot in if you are planning on playing against Flash Hulk players and you're playing blue yourself. So this kind of wraps up our section on Flash Hulk. While it is a very strong and efficient way to win the game, it's not unbeatable, and keeping these things in mind when going against someone who is playing Flash Hulk will help you better prepare your turns and know what to expect during the game. So now with Flash Hulk and Demonic Consultation out of the way, let's talk about something that isn't as overpowering, but is still very strong, and that is food chain based win cons. So let's start off with a summary of how food chain based decks win. Simply put, the goal is to generate infinite creature mana using food chain and a creature that can be cast from exile, and then with the infinite creature mana, continually recasting their commander to get an effect that wins the game. For example, a commander like the first sliver essentially allows you to recast the first sliver and cascade through your library casting the exact spells you need to in order to win the game. So now that we've gone over the basics with how food chain wins, let's take a deeper dive into the setup required and how the combo actually works. First off, when talking about food chain, it doesn't have to be in a five color deck like the first sliver. The first sliver is probably the strongest food chain commander, however it can be efficiently used to combo off in as little as two colors. The only real requirements for building a deck around food chain is the commander needs to be able to win the game by continually recasting it, and access to green. 
Now you can technically do this with just mono green. However, to the best of my knowledge, there's no mono green commanders that can be abused by food chain well enough to make it super efficient, but those would be the base requirements. Other popular food chain commanders in addition to the first sliver are a three color Sadisi Brew Tyrant, both Prosh and Corvold for the Jund colors, and there are quite a few Simic commanders that can work well with Food Chain, like Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, and Tashana, Voice of Thunder. There are other commanders that can be abused by Food Chain. These are probably just the most prevalent and the most efficient, but really any commander that can win the game off of being recast an infinite amount of times and has access to at least green and another good Food Chain supporting color like blue can technically be used with Food Chain just for the sake of time we're going to limit it to those. Now with the commander choices and colors out of the way, let's talk about what other setup is needed for Food Chain to work. First off, you need to have Food Chain on the battlefield in order to activate it. Next, you need to have one of the creatures that you can cast from Exile, Exiled. These cards are Mist Hollow Griffin for blue, Eternal Scourge for colorless, and Squee the Immortal for red. Squee can actually be cast from either your graveyard or Exile, so that one's a little bit more flexible. So that's the required setup. How does this combo generate an infinite amount of creature mana? Well, first off, if you have Food Chain on the battlefield, all you need to do is cast one of those exiled creatures. Once it enters the battlefield, you exile it with Food Chain to generate more mana than you use to cast it. You then use some of this creature mana to recast it from exile, again, activating Food Chain, exiling it, and repeating this process until you have an infinite amount of creature mana. Once you have this mana, you can either recast your commander to play your perfect spells like the first sliver, or if you have something on the battlefield like an impact trevors, just continually recasting that creature from exile will win you the game. So that was a little bit of a long explanation for food chain and we could even go more in depth, but we're not going to for the sake of time. This is just one of the more versatile combos that can be used in a wider array of decks and with a wider array of commanders. That being said, let's talk about how you can interact with it. As a person playing against Food Chain, how can you stop them from winning? First, let's talk about hate pieces that can be used to stop it before it even happens. The first point I want to hit on are taxing effects. If you're playing a stacks-based deck, if you can get opponent spells to cost at least two more, they'll no longer be netting mana with Food Chain, and they can get infinite ETBs, but they won't be generating any extra mana, so they'll be getting infinite ETBs, but it does cut off some of their avenues for winning. That's one big thing you need to keep in mind when trying to prevent Food Chain wins, is that there normally are a few different ways to win with this, so sometimes you have to read the board to know specifically what hate pieces are prevalent or good to play against this player. The next hate piece that can be situationally good against some food chain decks are anti-draw cards. If you're playing against a Corvold, for example, Corvold can be used to draw a lot of cards with the infinite creature mana. So something like a Notion Thief or a Narset Parter of Veils or a Spirit of the Labyrinth can really slow them down and make them get more pieces in order to win the game. And they, they can't use their commander to find their win. They have to have the win in hand. Another good hate piece that is good depending on the situation is any effect that stops entering the battlefield effects triggering. So a Torpor Orb, for example, will turn off an Impact Tremors if that's how they're planning on winning. Again, a little bit situational, but you do have to read the playing field to know when it's playable. 
Lastly, for heat pieces, a really good way to stop a lot of how food chain works is a silence type effect or something that only allows players to cast one spell per turn. So something like a rule of law is really good against slowing down a food chain player. They now have to find a way to get rid of that hate piece before they can even think about starting to combo off. So those are the hate pieces or more permanent based pieces that can be used to slow down food chain. Now let's talk about instant speed interaction that you can use to stop them from winning. Firstly, and this is going to be very common as we go through these interaction pieces, counter food chain. Food chain isn't on the battlefield, they can't activate it. You may be noticing a theme with countering being one of the easiest ways to stop something and it's just why blue is really good in competitive commander. Next off, removing food chain in response to the creature being cast from exile is really the only interaction point you have, so something that either bounces or destroys food chain can be played at that point specifically. Since food chain's ability is a mana ability, and since the exile is part of the activation cost, you don't get priority when that takes place. The only time you will have priority as the non-active player is when they're recasting their creature from exile. So if you have something that destroys a permanent, that's the time you need to do it. So an abrupt decay or even just a chain of vapor. That being said, there really is no point during the mana generation part of the combo that you can destroy a creature specifically. You will never have priority when the creature is on the battlefield. So creature removal is really not as relevant here. So keep that in mind when building to play against a food chain based deck. So that wraps up our discussion on how food chain works and how to interact with it. Now let's talk about another popular win condition, Kiki Jiki and Splinter Twin combo lines. For this combo line, we decided to combine both Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker and Splinter Twin since they combo with a lot of the same cards. Before we take a deep dive into how this combo works, let's give a simple overview on what this combo seeks to do. The goal of this combo is to use Kiki Jiki's ability to copy another creature that untaps Kiki Jiki or the enchanted Splinter Twinned creature, allowing infinite activations and infinite hasty tokens. So that's a simple explanation, but how does this combo actually work? Well first, let's talk about the setup for this combo. This combo has a bit more setup than previous combos, and it's a bit more variable because there are a lot of ways that Kiki Jiki and Splinter Twin can work. First off, the casting costs of both of these creatures are, are 4 for Splinter Twin and 5 for Kiki Jiki. Now for future reference, I'll be referencing Kiki Jiki and Splinter Twins as the top part of this combo, and the other part that combos with it as the bottom. So not only does the player need to cast the top part of the combo, but they also need the mana to cast the bottom part. Now this is a little bit variable because there are a lot of pieces that can be bottoms for this combo. Now I'm not going to go through every single creature that can be comboed in this way. However, I will do a list of some of the more popular ones. So popular cards that combo with Kiki Jiki are Felidar Guardian, Deceiver Exarch, Corridor Monitor, Zealous Conscripts, Village Bellringer, and Combat Celebrant. And for Splinter Twin, these vary slightly, but the cards that combo with Splinter Twin are Deceiver Exarch, Corridor Monitor, Village Bellringer, Zealous Conscripts, and Goblin Sharpshooter. So while they do share a lot of the same bottoms, there are some that differ slightly. That being said, if a deck is running a Kiki Jiki line, they're most likely running Splinter Twin as well for redundancy's sake. 
Now, in terms of the casting costs of these bottoms, they vary, but generally they're between two and five mana. So if you're keeping an eye out for how much mana they have open, keep in mind that they have a lot of creatures that they can combo with, so it might vary from game to game on how much mana they need to combo off. Now, before we get into some specifics, one thing I do want to mention is the artifact Birthing Pod. Birthing Pod can be used to essentially combo out through a chain of creatures to assemble a Kikijiki based win con. Now I'm not going to go through the whole Birthing Pod line, but just keep in mind that if they do have a Birthing Pod on the battlefield, they're just a few mana away from winning the game. Generally, they'll need 3 to 5 activations of Birthing Pod depending on their board state, so keep that in mind if they are playing a pod based deck. Now once they have the setup online, how are they going to be using Kikijiki or Splinter Twin to win the game. For Kikijiki, let's look at one that's probably one of the most popular, which is Felidar Guardian. The way that this combo works is have Kikijiki and Felidar Guardian on the battlefield, tap Kikijiki, make a copy of Felidar Guardian. When that new copy enters, blink Kikijiki, untapping it. You then repeat this process until you have an infinite amount of Felidar Guardians, then you go to combat and swing out. A lot of the bottoms to this combo work in a very similar way, but for Splinter Twin, I want to talk about one that varies slightly, which is the Splinter Twin Goblin Sharpshooter combo. The way this works is you enchant Goblin Sharpshooter with Splinter Twin. As long as Goblin Sharpshooter does not have summoning sickness, you tap Goblin Sharpshooter using the Splinter Twin ability to create a new hasty copy of Goblin Sharpshooter. You then tap this new copied Sharpshooter to kill any 1-1 creature on the battlefield, so both of the Goblin Sharpshooters untap. You now have two untapped Goblin Sharpshooters. The next thing to do is tap your original Goblin Sharpshooter to create a third Goblin Sharpshooter, and then tap either of your new hasty Sharpshooters targeting the other one. In response to that one damage, tap the one being targeted to deal one damage to any player. The damage will go through to that player, and then the targeted Goblin Sharpshooter will die, untapping your original two Goblin Sharpshooters, allowing you to repeat this process. So this combo requires a little bit more setup, the Goblin Sharpshooter can't have Summoning Sickness, and there does need to be a 1-1 creature on the battlefield that can die, but other than that, once those requirements are met, this combo can then take place. So that being said, that's the combo and that's how it works. How can you stop it and prevent it from happening? First, let's talk about permanents that can act as hate pieces towards this combo. And we're going to start off with one of my favorite ways to take care of this, which is activated ability hate. Examples of these hate pieces are Suppression Field, Cursed Totem, and Linvala Keeper of Silence. All three of these will prevent Kikiji or the enchanted creature from being activated, meaning they can't do anything related to the combo. So these pieces shut it off pretty much completely. Another way to at least slow down the combo is having a permanent that makes creatures enter the battlefield tapped. So something like a blind obedience, authority of the consoles, or a root maze for a select few of the bottoms can be used so that when Kikijiki is tapped to create a copy, the copy will be tapped so it can't actually go to combat and swing even though it has haste. And finally, another good way of stopping this combo, very similar to like other ones we've talked about, is anything that stops ETB effects. This turns off a lot of the ways that Kikijiki becomes untapped. So a Torpor Orb or a Hushbringer will make it so when Kikijiki is tapped to create a copy, that copy will then not be able to untap Kikijiki, stopping the combo. Doesn't really stop Splinter Twin Goblin Sharpshooter lines, but it stops a good amount of them. 
So those are the general and most prominent hate pieces that can be used to stop this combo line. Now let's talk about some instant speed interaction pieces that can very effectively stop this combo. Similar to other combos, we're going to start with the most simple, which is counter spells. The easiest way to stop these permanents from hitting the battlefield is countering them when they're cast. That being said, if they do hit the battlefield, another very efficient way to stop them from comboing off is any type of instant speed kill spell. If you can kill Kikijiki or the Splinter Twin Enchanted Creature before it's able to combo off, there's really nothing they can do at that point. Finally, a third way to deal with this at instant speed is something like a trick bind or a way to stop activated or triggered abilities. So you can either counter Kikijiki's ability or the ETB trigger of, let's say, a village bell ringer, stopping the combo for that turn. The player still will have those pieces for their next turn, however it gives you an entire turn cycle to deal with this problem. And between you and the other people at the table, one turn cycle is usually enough to stop that person from winning and not letting them untap with the pieces they need. And finally, for the last combo that we're going to talk about in this video, let's talk about the World Gorger Dragon combo, how this can be used and what it aims to do. First off, simply put, the goal of this combo is to produce infinite mana and then use that mana to win the game. That explanation may have seemed very simple, so let's just jump into the in-depth dive on how this combo works. First off, what is the setup required in order to get this combo online? Simply put, World Gorger Dragon needs to be in the graveyard, and you need to have a permanent based reanimation spell like an Animate Dead or a Dance of the Dead in order to reanimate it. And that's kind of it for the setup required. However, while it may seem more of a simple combo, there is a lot that goes into how the combo actually plays out. A big thing is, in the colors that this combo is normally used in, which is blue list or just regular rack dose, having an outlet for this infinite mana isn't always the easiest thing in the world, so I would even consider that almost a prerequisite, as they will need a way to use this infinite mana. And since more times than not, it is the commander that will be winning the game, they'll need a way to not only sink the mana into their commander, but also replay their commander or sacrifice their commander if necessary. So you will have to kind of read the board and see what commander they're using and how they look to use this infinite mana if you know you're playing against a player who is using this combo. That being said, let's talk about how this combo actually plays out. The first thing this player is going to want to do, once World Gorger Dragon is in the graveyard, is cast a spell like Anime Dead targeting the World Gorger Dragon. When it resolves, the World Gorger Dragon will then enter the battlefield. When it enters the battlefield, its ETB trigger will go on the stack to exile all permanents that player controls. In response to this effect, that player will tap all untapped lands to float the mana, and then allow the World Gorger Dragon trigger to resolve, exiling all permanents. When the Animate Dead is exiled, the Animate Dead's trigger will go on the stack to sacrifice World Gorger Dragon. When World Gorger Dragon is sacrificed and put into the graveyard, all of that player's permanents will come back untapped and including Animate Dead. When Animate Dead enters the battlefield, they retarget World Gorger Dragon to replay World Gorger Dragon, and in response to the World Gorger Dragon's ETB, again, tapping all mana sources, floating the mana, and then repeating this loop to generate infinite mana. This loop is stopped by the controller targeting something else with Animate Dead other than the World Gorger Dragon. Like I mentioned previously, once this infinite mana is generated, all they need at that point is a way to use the infinite mana, so something like a Croxa or a Brea or a Zoncha in the command zone, 
or something like a Comet Storm or Exsanguinate in their hand in order to dump all their mana into and finish off their opponents. So now that we've gone over the combo and how it works, how can you, the person playing against this combo, deal with it, stop it from happening, or for this combo specifically, take this person out of the game completely? First off, let's talk about hate pieces that can be used to prevent this combo from taking place in the first place. First is anything that prevents graveyards from being a useful resource. So something like a rest in peace that exiles all graveyards, something like a leyline of the void, or something like a graph digger's cage that doesn't allow creatures to enter the battlefield from the graveyard will turn off this combo completely. They won't be able to reanimate World Gorger Dragon, and they'll just be stuck with a large creature in their graveyard and a reanimate spell in their hand, and it will just prevent them from doing anything until they get rid of that permanent. Another good permanent hate piece that can be used is, again, very similar to other sections that we've talked about, anything that prevents ETB effects of creatures. So a Torpor Orb or a Hushbringer will make it so when the World Gorger Dragon enters a battlefield, nothing happens. They won't be able to generate infinite mana, and sure, they'll have a 7-7 Flying Trampler on the battlefield, but they won't have infinite mana. So those are some good static hate pieces that can be used to stop this from happening. However, if it does happen, what interaction can you use in order to stop it mid-loop? Now, I might sound like a broken record at this point, but counter spells will stop this from happening. Countering the reanimate portion of this loop will stop it from happening in the first place. And again, very similar to other sections we've talked about, any stifle effect can also stop this loop. So stifle or trick bind stopping either the triggered ability of Animate Dead or of the World Gorger Dragon will stop the combo altogether. Another straightforward way to stop this loop is if you have a spell that either exiles or shuffles a card in an opponent's graveyard back into their library, so something like a Noxious Survival or Memory's Journey, will make the Animate Dead fizzle. It'll take the World Gorger out of the graveyard, which will fizzle the Reanimate spell, preventing the loop from even starting. Another common piece of interaction is to cast something like a Silence, or anything that prevents them from casting additional spells. This will allow them to still possibly create the infinite mana, but have nothing to sink it into since they can't cast any more spells. In addition to these probably more straightforward or standard ways of stopping a combo, there are some spicier ways to not only stop the loop, but exile the entire player's board in the process. And this revolves around instant speed targeted removal of either a creature or just a general permanent. If you have a creature removal spell, the time you want to act is in response to the World Gorger Dragon's ETB trigger. What will happen is the trigger will go on the stack to exile all permanents. In response, you kill the World Gorger Dragon. The leaving the battlefield trigger of the World Gorger Dragon will then happen and all exiled permanents will come back. However, no permanents were exiled, so nothing comes back. The World Gorger Dragon dies and then the ETB effect resolves and all permanents are exiled. So it will leave them in a state where World Gorger Dragon is in their graveyard, but they have no permanents on the battlefield. This can also be done with any bounce spell as well if you're playing blue. If you bounce the World Gorger Dragon at the same point, it will do the same thing except instead of World Gorger being in their graveyard, it'll be in their hand. Now if you don't have a creature bounce or destruction spell, and you have something that just targets any permanents or enchantments specifically, like a disenchant, if at the same point in interaction, when the ETB effect of the World Gorger Dragon goes on the stack, you get rid of Animate Dead, the same product will happen. 
So the Animate Dead will leave the battlefield, World Gorger Dragon will die, the LTB will trigger, and then the ETB of the World Gorger Dragon will trigger, exiling all permanents. So there are two different ways to interact with the stack, and a few different pieces of interaction that can be used, those being just any permanent removal spell, a creature removal spell, or specifically an enchantment removal spell. If given the option, this method of interaction is probably the most ideal way to deal with this player, because not only does it stop their loop, but it takes them out of the game completely. That being said, that does wrap up our section on the World Gorger Dragon combo. And with that combo, that does wrap up the group of combos that we wanted to talk about in this video. Remember, if you do want to see a part two of lesser played combos, let us know in the comments and we'll put that list together. And be expecting a similar video to this, but with combos that are very commander specific. So something like Najila or Gitrog will be in that video where we will be able to explain these combos in a little bit more depth. That being said, we do hope you enjoyed this video. If you have other topics for these understanding CEDH videos, let us know in the comments of what you would like to see or what you would like a discussion topic on, and we'll see what we can do. We do plan to release these every few weeks, so if there's a topic you really want to hear talked about, we should be able to get to that before too long. That being said, that is all we have for this video. Again, we do hope you enjoyed it. Again, I am Joseph. This is Casually Competitive MTG, and we will see you next time.